Siam Nostalgia. Here we are at uh, Setting Children of the Setting Sun podcast, uh, coming to you from the studios at Shorewood Forest on the Lummi Reservation. Uh, today we're talking to a uh, respected leader and counselor for the Musqueam Nation, Nolan Charles, who's come down from uh, up north to spend some time with us and maybe talk about a few things going on in his neck of the woods. Uh, so, hi, Nolan. Um, <laughs> Respecting is his strength. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah well, let's, let's kind of just start uh, talking about some things, uh, where you live and how that fits into the the uh, the uh, people that live around you, the Vancouver, uh, city of Vancouver, and how... That kind of grew up around you, and now Vancouver is one of those, those uh, like bustling, growing metropolitan areas that just kind of sprawled all over your homeland there. And how does that feel? And how does the community uh, taking all of that in? Well, I, from the I, beginning I, of time, like well, forget when you grew up, you know, I imagine it wasn't as no. crowded, crowded as it is today. No, but. by by no means, by no stretch of the imagination. I mean, they, back in. Uh, I was born in, or I was hatched at St. Paul's Hospital in uh, January 4 of 62. And I'm one of 13. Uh, my They used to say to my mother, we'll see you next year, Mrs. Charles. And when she'd show up, they'd say, welcome home. <laughs> so my mother's from Salilwatath, or the Burrard Band, and my father's from Musqueam. And it's funny that you asked that question because yesterday when I got stopped at the border, there was quite a bit of a, a lineup at the border. And and when I got to the border, the it was a young lady and she was 101 questions and she didn't really understand the, the relationship of family between uh, what Coast Salish even meant. Yeah. So I, I had to take five minutes, and it was worth the five minutes to educate somebody. Okay, well, what does um, what does Coast Salish mean? So I get to the border, and she's asking me, "Where am I from?" Oh, where am I going? I'm going to Lummi. Where am I from? I'm from Musqueam. Uh, what's in Lummi? I said I'm on my way to teach a couple of young men how to dance traditionally. And she says, "How did you come about that?" Like, what's the relation? How did you, how did it, like, how did you come across it? And so that was a two-hour conversation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It took a, It took about, I, I said it was well worth it. It was worth the five minutes to take the time out to educate, and that's what it is. Back home uh, in 1993, they established a treaty process to uh, address the land question who's who's who and who's who in the zoo who owns what what does rights and title mean united uh nations declarations of the rights of indigenous people was acknowledged in 2007 so here we are 11 years later and we're actually starting to get some traction to see well okay well what does that mean what does the declaration mean and how do we develop and how do we implement it so that that was alone was a five minute conversation with the border guard yesterday when I said that uh, Coast Salish extends into the United States. We didn't put up this transparent border. It was 
established by two entities known as the United States and Canada. And we still acknowledge ourselves as Coast Salish, ergo the... Uh, the uh, when we and I know we'll get into it in a little bit. The talking about uh, transposing the Bison Treaty into a um, Salmon Treaty, so that's kind of like a, I don't know if that answers your question. Now, a long story short, we could be here all day trying to, you know, what we see in Canada. People don't acknowledge the UN Declaration. They don't acknowledge rights and title. Because they don't understand it. They don't know how to embrace it. So creating social awareness will create social acceptance. Once people understand, ah, okay, that's what it means. So we've got a challenge ahead of us, educating uh, the greater community as to our goals, dreams, aspirations, and desires, which are the same as people that live across the street and they don't understand that. They just say, hey, you effing Indians want it all. Mm. Well, you know, prior to contact, <laughs> we kind of had it all. Mm -hmm. So, so um, looking at uh, your community and, and um, you know, I remember going up there to play basketball in the 70s, you know, and then I went back there a few weeks ago and, whoa, Musqueam is real modern now. And they have all these modern buildings and everything's been really... Uh, 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 prospering looks like in a lot of ways, you know, with new facilities, new homes, and um, seems like a lot of activity. How did how did that come about? From what I remember in the old days, it was just a, it was like a village that was just in um, I don't know if you want to call it disrepair, but it was just like it needed it needed some work. I guess you know. Well, he, I remember it, the old gym, you know. Yeah. And now you got a brand, brand new facility. And even yeah. has that new car smell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Well, it all came about with the uh, uh, the 2010 Olympics, the 2010 Winter Olympics. We were approached by a, a our attorney of the day, uh, Marvin Storo, gave me a call and said, "Would you?" Uh, have sit down and have a coffee with John Furlong, who is the organizer of the Vancouver uh, Olympic Organizing Committee, VANOC. And they were submitting a bid for um, the Winter Olympics. And they said they would like a an Aboriginal or a First Nations component. And no Indigenous group had participated in uh, developing, actually developing a uh, part of the bid for the 2010 Olympics. So when we were successful in securing the games, uh, the four nations, it was Lilwat Nation in Pemberton, Squamish, Salilwatuth, and Musqueam were acknowledged as the four host nations. So that really brought about a major change in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, who are the four host nations? What does four host nations mean? And we actually had a the four host nations pavilion in downtown Vancouver where people could come in and uh, get a snapshot of history of, of the four communities. Uh, the four communities developed a, their... Um, 
uh, a short video of who they were, and it was shown on a regular, on a daily basis to mm-hmm. uh, people that would come from around the world and say, "Okay, what does what does for host nations mean?" So that was kind of the 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 launch pad where we uh, we where we were allotted. Um, uh, I guess you can say. Uh, for part of being part of the four host nations, they were procurements and um, uh, partnerships. And through those partnerships, we secured some of those buildings, like the new gymnasium that you saw. That was a $10 million building. And the actual cultural center that we have now was... The actual um, First Nations Pavilion, or the Four Host Nations Pavilion at uh, at uh, at, at oh, I, I keep wanting to say Expo, and I should acknowledge Expo '86 because at Expo '86 we also I was just a young man, and I still remember the Dave Joes and the Dominic Points and the. Vincent and Walker Stogan, the Stogan brothers, and the ladies that we actually uh, danced for the... The irony of it all is this weekend is Harry and Megan's wedding, but it was Harry's mother, Diana, and his dad, Charles, that we danced for at the opening of Expo 86. So I guess I should go back Full circle. Full circle. So I should go back to Expo 86, where acknowledgement was really, it wasn't at the forefront, but it was a start. Mm -hmm. And then it really took off at uh, the 2010 uh, bid package for the Winter Olympics. That's awesome. Were you guys in the middle of those riots? I think when Canada was playing... Hockey, there was riots in the street up there, right? Uh, there's, there's been... Didn't that, there's, didn't that happen? They had to close the town down or something? There's, there's, been, there's been riots since what? 14, yeah. 1492. 1492, yeah. <laughs> yeah That's been, true. Yeah. There's been riots since 1492, Daryl. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. But, but I like what you say, you were coming full circle. Mm-hmm. And it's not... and. It's not acknowledgement of this border. It's tearing down this border, and and it's it's reestablishing. Uh, it's not establishing trade and commerce with uh, our 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 families in the south. It's reestablishing. So we'll get there. And uh, it leads us to the to the Bison Treaty and the elements of the Bison Treaty that could be translated into what we're thinking about for the Salmon Alliances. Uh, a type of salmon treaty. Maybe you can kind of highlight what that is, uh, what, we're, what we think we can take out of the, uh, what was approved by the Blackfeet in a way of an agreement towards the protection and enhancement of the bison living within their homeland and how that actually fits what we're trying to do here. Well, uh, my first experience of it was at the BAMP Center of Excellence, which is in Banff, Alberta, and it's a a school that teaches contemporary uh, issues. Whoa, I would encourage anybody and everybody, doesn't matter if you're uh, American or Canadian or First 
nation or non-first nation or native or non-native to take these courses at Banff Center. They are amazing. Hmm. So what I was, uh, uh, the one particular uh, course that I was taking was understanding, acknowledging and dealing with decolonization. How to uh, alienate, alienate yourself from being, uh, or from colonization. Mm-hmm. So it was that was where it all, all started, and it blew me away. This um, this professor of uh, that was teaching the course, Leroy Littlebear, was one of the founders or the uh, helped develop the framework of the Bison Treaty, which. Uh, is established for the protection of wild bison in Montana and Alberta, where they acknowledge. They said, "Well, if we don't take, if we don't do something about it, then we both lose out." So that was the premise behind it, saying, "Well, if we don't acknowledge, and we don't do something about wild bison, and if we don't protect." What we feel is rightfully ours, and the one that thing that 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 still stands out in my mind is one of the chiefs said, "Bison, bison doesn't have a passport." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they don't acknowledge a border. They they run free through the through the plains of uh, of um, the grasslands of uh, Alberta and Montana. And the tribes took it upon themselves to say, we need to come together to protect our identities, how they put it. So when you and I started talking about it, it was uh, an amazing conversation. And I actually ran into Dana Wilson last night. Oh, great. And he's saying, well, this is an amazing opportunity. And he figures within, if we don't do something within... 60 years, the stocks will have disappeared. So that's, what, two generations, maybe three generations from now. Every generation one's, what, 20, 25 years. So that only gives us realistically two generations to say, if we don't start working together to uh, protect what we feel is rightfully ours, then we lose our identity. So that's really thinking about your grandkids then. Our grandkids are the ones that are going to witness the extinction if we don't get... If we don't get our act together, yeah. 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 Well, that's... uh, And then salmon don't need a nexus pass either. No, (laughs) no. That's why we're thinking... No, no, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's it's all about... I I like what your, your approach is... Because this year is the Adams River Run, and it's uh, it's it's cyclical. It's every four years, so this is the fourth year. And the last uh, Adams River Run, they estimated uh, ten million. We were told, and at when it was all said and done, the return estimates were north of thirty million. So who knows what's going to happen this year. And the uh, unfortunate thing about it is what happens between years uh, one and three. Mm-hmm. Is there enough salmon to sustain us? Is there enough salmon to, to maintain our, 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 way of, our way of life? Yeah. 
eh? Right, and that's uh, we went up and visited the folks, and they're projecting. I think it's fourteen million this year. I think Justin and I and John went up to their office, and they were saying fourteen million, and it's typically a sixty forty split, where sixty percent come down Johnstone straight into the Fraser, then the other forty percent go on the outside up through Nia Bay, and then up through our land here. So. Yeah, loop around. Uh, loop around, yeah. So, f- um, you know, that's big anticipation. And now uh, looking at the news uh, yesterday, the Fraser River is about to flood because oh. the snow is melting so fast that uh, there'll be no snowpack when, uh, when the salmon get back, you know, which means water temperatures will be pretty significantly off. You know, well, that's uh, it's warm. a year. Is is it is that the adverse effect of global warming? Because it happens every year. Our guys are sitting on the riverbank waiting for the fish to come up, and they're not coming up because the water's too warm. And are they waiting for a good rain to cool the waters down to have the the salmon make a run up the river? So we'll see what happens this year. Are we? Are we seeing a pattern, a pattern that is being developed by this global warming? I don't, under, I don't know if people really understand the magnitude of, of global, global warming and are we starting to see it firsthand? Eh? Because I, I, I see, I've seen it for the last 10 to 15 years where our guys are waiting, 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 waiting. Okay, well, we're not, we can't fish yet because the fish aren't moving. Why aren't the fish moving? The fish aren't moving because the waters are too warm. Why are the waters too warm? Because it's, it's the whole system is, uh, is um, out of whack. Yeah, right. And uh, the um, not only is the river, you know, uh, out of whack, but the ocean itself, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, that's something we really can't. Um, try to um, control or try to fix, but we can do things on the river, on the watershed itself in terms of uh, protecting habitat and uh, joining forces, you will, against those people that are just really trying to develop further in and around the watershed, the Fraser River watershed. Mm-hmm. And the Shushua people are asking for help, you know, at the mouth of the river, you know, Musqueam and Simiama and the like, they probably need... Uh, need our help and then um, just follow it all the way up the river and the different things that are going on with mining or with agriculture, or with deforestation, you know, those things that probably in the in the midst of a treaty, we could say, well, these are the things that we're going to protect and these are the things that we're going to fight for. Well, if that's going to happen, we need to, we need to give of ourselves some really tight time frames and say we need to do it within 10 years. Mm-hmm. We need to develop a plan within 10 years because it's going to take us 10 years to implement it. Yeah. So that gives us 20 years on a a 60-year uh, program. If we don't do anything within the 60 years, then salmon are gone. Yeah. So yeah. We've, we, we should have a, a developed and implement within the next, I'm guessing seven to 10 years, mm-hmm. if we don't have a plan and we're not implementing within seven to 10 years, then we're scrambling the other 40 to say, well, what the, what the heck are we doing? Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> that's, that's it. The, the uh, 
plan is something we're really just going to hand off to our kids then, you know, and what is it that we're going to leave them, you know? Exactly. Can't leave them nothing. Can't leave them anything. Yeah. eh? Yeah. And I don't want to leave them a problem. I don't want to dismiss it and say, well, you know what? (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. I couldn't do anything about it now it's your it's 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 your problem to deal with. I don't want to do that. I don't I don't think that's respond I don't think I'm responsible if I if I do that. Mm-hmm. I figure I've got I've got 10 years. Yeah. Hey? Eh? Yeah. I've got 10 years and if I don't do something within that 10 years, then I'm taking part of my French the chicken shit way out and saying, "Well, I'm leaving it for mm-hmm. I'm leaving it for the next generation." Mm-hmm. And that's what would what would my grandparents say? Mm-hmm. What would our forefathers say? Well, that's the easy way out. Like, what are you doing? Come to your senses. Grow up. Mm-hmm. Well, um, before we shift gears here, you guys got any questions, Mark, uh, Bo, Justin, about well, this particular? Yeah. So you got when during the salmon summit, you got pretty emotional there about the connection of the relatives. Yeah. Because you're related. Canadian. You know, no. We were talking a little earlier about that. Can you just talk more about what that really means to somebody to have the family be divided like that? Like the... Well, see, is it the resource? Is it the resource that's dividing us? Because it's that the age-old adage, divide and conquer. Hey, is that the principle that the governments are working on? Or that's how what they state of form? And, you know, I just throw a bone in the middle and let them fight over it. And we've got to take it out of the hands of the, of the politicians. I got no problem saying that the, uh, the, the, is it safe to say the non-native politicians where it's just, I, I look at it back home in, in Canada and it's not about making the right decision, it's making the popular decision. And the popular decision is a uh, is a conduit to how do I get myself reelected? I like this political seat. Ooh, and there's a nice fat, and I mean fat, uh, pension at the end of the day, come my term. So I don't see it as uh, as being. Um, Addressed by any political body, the actual uh, solutions need to come from the community and and the grassroots approach. We're saying, well, you know what, you guys don't know what you're doing. Yeah, you can you can provide funding for it. That's probably the extent that they could go. But I look at it as a is it our responsibility as as tribal leaders to say, you know what? We're in a dogfight, and playing the the uh, Olympia or the Victoria or the Ottawa or the Washington D.C. game isn't working. So how do we how do we join forces in an alliance that we used to have pre-contact? And at the end of the day, that's all it is. It's developing and and reinstituting those alliances that we had pre-contact that said, okay, well, we are the resource keepers. We are the resource monitors. So when I talk to uh, people in Victoria or, or in Ottawa, it's, 
it would seem apparent that what they're looking for are solutions to come from the community. Okay, community, well, we don't have the time. We, we don't have the um, expertise. We're too busy running government. We don't have the capacity. And we're saying, yeah, we might have the capacity, but we don't have the resources. So we're, we're starting to see a alliances being formed outside of government. And those alliances are, are community-based saying, well, okay, well, if we don't start doing something together, we all lose out. And I like the, the last month when we convened at... Uh, Silver Reef and Wayne Christian was there because it dawned on me that's where the spawning beds are. Mm -hmm. And if I don't help Wayne in the spawning beds, then I'm not going to benefit. And if Wayne doesn't help me at the mouth of the river, his spawning beds become irrelevant. So it's, it's all connected. It's all connected. So it's it goes well beyond Coast Salish. It goes into the interiors and uh, the one thing that uh, that we could learn from our uh, people like the Okanagan Alliance where they have uh, the Okanagan nation on both sides of the border where they have the uh, the Colville and the and the Okanagan tribes working together to uh, rejuvenate stocks that they've got and they're 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 successful so that's a model that we could possibly build on and say, okay, well, how did you, how do you, how did you, what, the impasse was this damn border. So they didn't acknowledge the border. They just said, you know what? We are Okanagan Alliance. Don't matter for Colville, don't matter for Soyuz, don't matter for West Bank or whatever, whomever they were, they were in this together. So let's, let's uh, solve the problem. So I look at that as a, well, you could probably take two um, incidences or two models that we could cut and paste from and borrow, and there's no sense in recreating the wheel. Uh, you take the Bison Treaty developed by the Blackfoot, you could probably use that as a framework and the meat and potatoes, we could probably borrow uh, some of the... Um, ideas and some of the plans that have been implemented by the Okanagans. You know, so, that's a great idea. That I'm, when you're when you're talking, I'm thinking, wow. And then we can go talk to the Iroquois, who don't recognize the boundary and and exercise their sovereignty across the border and have their own checkpoints along the border. Right. And we can bring them into the conversation too, and how they accomplish that. And I think. They went so far as issuing passports amongst their people so they can go back and forth and not have to go through the U.S. checkpoints. They have their own. So, yeah, 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 we yeah. can do that, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, there's some conversation we can have there, too. Hey, Bo, Justin, you guys got anything to ask, say? Just to pick up on what you said about the Iroquois issuing yeah. passports, they went to uh, uh, field across world championships in Australia. Yeah, and they issued their own passports, yeah. but they yeah. couldn't get into Australia because the Australia wouldn't recognize them mm -hmm. as these aren't passports. Right, right. Yeah, you're trying to make them U.S. Yeah, yeah. Rather than Europe yeah, yeah. Hmm. No. Um, I guess sure. I have one question. 
Maybe stand right behind that. Is it okay to drink coffee on... We can cut it out later? Okay. Good evening. Um, um, So we're talking about like the importance of salmon trying and like you're trying to educate people about them. And one of the problems I feel that in like, you know, the bigger society in North America is that people, they'll go to the supermarket and there's fish there and they're like, this is enough for me. And they won't educate themselves or try to look past just what's in front of them. As Brian, do you have you do you have any like ideas of how to like break that kind of like illusion that's kind of the consumer market has created for us? That's a perfect question. <laughs> we could take a we could take a, a two minute snippet from the movie. Uh, what the heck is it called? It's called Tarzan Escapes. It was on the other day. Hey, it was amazing. So the 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 people were uh, Jane comes from they went to look for her and they find her and they don't have enough food to to feed them and jane just looks at tarzan and says go to the market and get enough food for all of us so he goes out to the jungle and he collects enough food for the party of what 30 so it was pretty amazing it it was all within a, a two minute uh shot of uh, uh and the movies with uh, Johnny Weissmuller and Maureen O'Sullivan and it's called Tarzan Escapes and it's funny that you asked that question because he looked at the jungle as his market this is my market so pre-contact that's how I was I would look at it okay that's my market I need to go out and I need to get enough fish and if we need to get enough fish to feed uh, all of our visitors, and we could expand on the definition of visitors and what do visitors actually mean, and if there's not enough, then people would start to understand, okay, well, how come we were invited and there's not enough fish? Well, there's not enough fish because there's not enough fish. We've got a real problem here. So the market, the market closed at midnight. Hey, mm-hmm. It's not open 24-7 like it used to be. So the market now has timelines and, and, and closing hours and, and regulated up the yin-yang. So we've got we've to change the market. And with, uh, I, I, I know Daryl's going down the right path. And like I say, I don't want to, when that market reopens at, seven or eight or nine in the morning i to make sure my kids are there and that they they're they're they've got plenty to eat um bailey um bailey um bailey <laughs> yeah yeah cool so the irony of it all it was just that was just on the other day it was mm. there was a a tarzan marathon and when you ask the question about you know the market that, that that's the first thing that <laughs> that came to mind. That's cool. Is Great analogy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anything else, Bo? Mark? Yeah. Not at the moment. Okay. No. Let's shift gears here a little bit. Um, Nolan, uh, kind of know that you've been in the entertainment business before, and I don't know if you still are. <laughs> it's are you, called are, Chief are, and uh, Council. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I perform every Monday night. <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, you know we're that's what we're doing here. Uh, uh, we're, Mark's studio here has actually been a launch pad for a lot of things happening here. We've had uh, people come in and sing and tell stories and 
podcasts, having conversations such as this, uh, working on uh, some scripts, uh, bringing to life uh, our life way through uh, perhaps a TV series, and we've worked on some stage productions. Uh, haven't been able to get enough actors together to do that yet, but we're still working on it. And then, of course, the Sakai epic and, and filming uh, salmon runs for the last couple of years and interviewing folks, but maybe uh, someday down the road as we some of these things uh, get the funding, we're going to call on you to come and join us and lend your talents to some of these productions, but maybe what draws you to um, to the world of entertainment and your life uh, first as I understand it as a stand-up comedian, but maybe there are other things that you do I don't know if you sing or not, or you're act, or <laughs> anything like that. Maybe you can, can talk about that a little yeah. bit and how, how that becomes a, a real interest to yours. Yeah. Can't sing worth beans. Oh, you can't? Okay. Oh, but I do karaoke yeah. every now and then. Oh, I mean, really? Oh, yeah. My uh, Hank Williams is my go-to. Hey, good looking. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> if, you can't, if you can't belt out, like, uh, Hank Williams, is, uh, he's, he's my idol. He's, well, maybe you can give us a, a, a couple of tunes here. <laughs> <laughs> so, <and laughs> so that's uh, you know what maybe someday that will come maybe someday that will come back eh? but I, I'm really interested in what you're doing right now yeah. and for me it's all about educating people if they don't understand who we are and it's like I said, uh, just uh, re repeating what I said earlier, if, if if there's no social awareness, then there's no social acceptance. Mm -hmm. So some of the stuff that we're working on, uh, doing collaboratively, will go a long way. And it will come out within the next year or two. And it will, it, who knows, it might be part of the 10-year plan to educate people and say, hey, you know what, if we don't have a plan or a framework of a plan within the next seven to 10 years, then we run the risk of losing a, a resource. Mm -hmm. And that's, and I really like, and I appreciate the efforts that you've made and your dedication to it. So is there room for entertainment? There always is room for entertainment. And I think uh, the greatest way to draw attention is by, it's what you had mentioned earlier is involving other other tribes like the Iroquois and like uh, I, I, I won't get into it today, but at some point we can get into uh, uniting people like the Arizona tribes and what we're trying to do and and bringing people together. So those are projects to, a year down the road where there'll be you know, they'll have some real traction and we can really report out to people, hey, look what we're doing as indigenous people. We are talking about taking that, even though the United Nations Declaration was accepted in 2007, we're 11 years later and we're still not implementing. So the greater society is starting to understand, well, okay, ah, okay, that's what, UN declaration means. Ah, okay. So there are 46 principles and the, and the 46 principles as outlined by UN declarations, articles three, four, and five say that uh, indigenous groups have the right to establish a government that they see uh, 
fit uh, to govern themselves. And Articles 4 and 5 give them the latitude to develop uh, commerce that would provide or lend support to maintaining those those uh, governments or governance that they will reestablish. So we've got a lot of work to do, but... Uh, we need to have some fun on the on the way there, eh? Well, yeah, when we're eh? edu- we're educating folks, it's it's a matter of uh, finding the medium that they uh, are going to pay attention to. Yeah, and we try all different angles. We try documentaries. We try film that is uh, kind of like entertainment, but also podcasts and uh, we've got a website. All these things. But it's like reaching, as I, I always use the analogy, we're not preaching to the choir here. We want to reach those guys that are sitting in Seahawks Stadium that have no idea eh? what indigenous rights are. Or, no kidding. Or, or what what can be done with them, you know. And, well, yeah. Right. Right. Eh? right. <laughs> Selling eh? hot dogs. Because if you stop Joe Average on the street in, in Bellingham or in yeah. Vancouver or Linden yeah. or yeah. or uh, Peoria, Illinois or whatever it is, and you ask them what does they what does the UN Declaration for Indigenous People mean, they'd kind of look at you and go, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, eh? because they don't see the benefit for they don't see any actual benefits coming to them. Uh, the what people will understand and acknowledge that once, like we'll, we're seeing it back home, is when communities, if, when, it's not if, it's when indigenous groups benefit, who else benefits? We don't have Walmarts, we don't have uh, Home Depots, we don't have um magic cuts in our neighborhoods we got to go across the street so there's there's uh there's a lot of work to be done but we'll get there you know what we'll get there mm-hmm. and i i like what you say about if we were to even if we were to educate people in Seahawk Stadium for one day of 65,000 and they went home and they saw a, a two or three minute video of what the rights of indigenous people I mean they they would at least talk hey what did you guys see what did you guys see today what did you what did you think of that mm-hmm. that that uh maybe that's something we could shoot for to have a 2 to 3 minute video that we could show at places like uh, any uh, major sporting event and say well hey what are you guys thinking that's that's a good idea well in closing uh, maybe you can tell us a Charlie Hill story. Oh, hey, Charlie! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, he's my idol. He's like I first saw him on on the Tonight Show. Uh-huh. Oh, and it's just like a, the original silencer. Yeah, you couldn't see the couldn't see the arrows coming. Yeah, hey. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 So he said, he yeah. said indigenous people had to silence her invented a long time yeah. ago. <laughs> so he's, he, he was my idol. He, he, he was, he will always be my idol. And I first saw him come out, uh, uh the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson wearing a, uh, Chicago Blackhawks jersey. Oh, really? Yeah. So he had, uh, there was a uh, cheap Blackhawk right on his jersey. And, you know, he, he had the stereotypical setup. He had the. Got the headband yeah, on. Yeah. They had the long hair and the braids and the whole enchilada and instantly became my, my hero. 
And I was never, I, I, under, I know he's an Ida, and I know his brother is Rick Hill, the former president of uh, NIGA, right. the National Indian Gaming Association. And I was, I got to meet uh, uh, his brother, but I never had the opportunity to see Charlie or meet Charlie. But uh, like my girlfriend always says, they're not gone as long as you remember them. Yeah. And I, I will always remember him coming out on, on uh, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. He's like, who the, who the, who is this guy? Yeah, he's my new idol. Yeah. I mean, it's instantly became my idol. I was in, uh, I think I was in elementary school, elementary elementary school, or was it the early days of high school? And I said, that's the guy I want to be like. That's my idol. That's somebody that I, I gravitated towards, and and I that's why I I I did stand up, and I placed third at Vancouver Search for new talent at a comedy club called Yuck Yucks, out of fifty contestants. So I still uh, I still do uh, weddings and bar mitzvahs. I always say. So we, we, I, I MC um, weddings and and birthdays and community functions and uh, my buddy stopped by my place the other day and said, "I'm getting married December second of 2018." We want you to be our MC, and I said I'd be honored. That's awesome. You know, we're going to do a fundraiser for the for our production company over at Mark's uh, dad's house, and we'll call you up yeah and, give me a call and you can come down and MC the fundraiser for the children awesome. of the setting sun yeah yeah productions uh, probably late June or something perfect in that neighborhood so this is uh, Satsumton Daryl Hilaire and we had with us today Nolan Charles from Musqueam Nation on the children of the setting sun productions podcast and thank you for joining us today Aichika thank you Daryl Aichika awesome. Aichika Aichika